Hello, this is the stunning history of today. I'm Tess. I'm Steph. Hey! <laughs> the what face you? you made just now. <laughs> maybe I'm just a little excited. Or maybe I was just a bit anxious about the start of that. And I was like, is this going to work? Both. Maybe it's both. Anxious, you looked to me like You looked to me like the Joker, you know? Just like, I got your kids, Batman. It's like, Jesus, okay, keep them. (laughs) Keep them. Just get away from me. Oh, my God. Don't touch me. (laughs) Oh, bless. Anyway, (laughs) great start. Happy 4th of July. All of our American pieces out there. Happy 4th of July, Independence, America, free. (laughs) Independence, America, free. It sounds like a Google search. (laughs) Independence, America, America free. free. What, what does that mean? Um, <laughs> I'm gonna not address the uh, topic that I think everyone's been talking about because uh, yeah, let's let's just go straight I past will, that because um, I will go into a tangent. I'll be so upset, and I don't even want to do that. Yeah. So I mean, I, but, I saw a post um, from somebody that we follow on on Instagram, and um, she posted on her story about what was happening. And I was like, are you serious that they overturned? Hmm. <sighs> uh, I, I don't know. It's just, it's really upsetting. It's really it upsetting. Is. And let's just say I unfriended a few people on Facebook this last few oh, days. Dear. Oh, those would be all your American friends, no? Some of my American friends, not all, a lot of them um, are devastated. Like just seeing their posts because it's so real for them because they're living mm-hmm. it. It's devastating just to see their reaction and just to see, like, a lot of them probably live in states where it'll be all right still, but just knowing that in their own country that that's happening, it's awful. Anyway, there were some some people where I was like, you don't fully understand what's going on, so unfriend. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so if you follow us on Instagram, if you don't, go and follow us, please. Um... (laughs) T oh, shot podcast. Yes. Um, I I asked people what they wanted to hear next, and uh, the people have spoken, and I listened. So, um, I asked, what did I ask? I have a true crime, cult story, Hollywood, or anything but no death, and the winning category was true crime. So, hey, you asked for it. Go and get. <laughs> we love true crime. Let's hear I some. I listened. It's <laughs> a murder. <laughs> and I'm gonna deliver. The people have spoken. Okay, so let's just jump right into it because she's a bit long, but not too long. Depends how ranty I feel today. <laughs> as as always. Okay, so on this day, fourth of July, 1954, going back 68 years ago, Marilyn Shepard is murdered in her home. Now, why is mm. this significant? Well. Let's get it. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to explain it and I was like, no, this is too hard to explain in one sentence. But let's just say her husband is very much involved in this case. A, a husband killing a wife? Who would have thought it's never well, been done before? Maybe. Maybe not. Oh. This is actually quite a famous case because of um, the media's involvement. And I guess the era, I don't know. Now we're just making stuff up. Let's continue. So, I'm going to be talking about Sam Shepard, who is the husband, because he ends up getting arrested for it and going to prison. But, T, there's a lot more story. 
Did I just spoil so, my whole story? Like, I was going to say, like, surely we weren't supposed to know that part. We, we were supposed to be like, oh, no, when it got to it. Um, I'm going to, I'm, even though the crime happened on this day, I'm not really going to be talking about the details of the crime. I know I'm a crime piece. I know that makes no sense. But <laughs> the story that I'm more interested in with this case is what happens during the trial and afterwards is what I'm going to be talking about. Okay. Okay. Also, because I'm not in the mood to talk about how somebody was brutally murdered and get into all the details. I'm just not here for it. I need... <laughs> not today. It's the 4th of July. Let's not, let's not talk about yeah. that gory detail. <laughs> exactly. So let's get into it. So Sam Shepard, he was born in Cleveland, Ohio, the youngest of three sons of Richard Allen Shepard, D.O., who is a, it's a doctor, D.O., doctor of osteopathic osteopathics he's an osteopathic doctor (laughs) his dad is this doctor he attended cleveland heights high school where he was an excellent student and was active in american football and basketball and track oh my god Um, he's literally that all-star that everyone talks about such athletic he was class president for three years overachiever (laughs) (laughs) sounds like you're jealous (laughs) Well, because I did any sports in school, and and I don't think anyone even knew I existed. Okay, let's move on. (laughs) Oh, bless you. (laughs) Okay, so Shepard met his future wife, Marilyn Reese, while in high school. And although several small Ohio colleges offered him athletic scholarships, Shepard chose to follow the lead of his father and older brothers and pursued a career in osteopathic medicine. Shepard finished his medical education at the Los Angeles Osteopathic School of Physicians and Surgeons. It's now University of California, Irvine, if anyone was interested in that fact. And was awarded the Doctor <laughs> of Asti- Osteo- <laughs> Osteopathic. The Doctor of Ass. <laughs> doctor of Ass. Um, <laughs> osteopathic Medicine, which is a DO medical degree. Okay. So... Shepard completed his internship and a residency in neurosurgery at Los Angeles County General Hospital. He married Marilyn Reese on February 21st, 1945 in Hollywood, California. And a few years later, he returned to Ohio and joined his father's growing medical practice at Bayview Hospital. Doctor. Yeah. (laughs) Gosh. So on the night of Saturday, July the 3rd, 1954, Shepard and Marilyn were entertaining neighbours at their lakefront home. We love a lakefront home. While they were watching the movie Strange Holiday, Shepard fell asleep on the day bed in the living room and Marilyn walked the neighbours out. So on this day, July 4th, 1954, in the early morning hours, Marilyn Shepard was bludgeoned to death in her bed with an unknown instrument. The bedroom was covered with blood splatter and drops of blood where were found on floors throughout the house some still face <laughs> it's just it's so brutal because it's oh my god do we know if it's like blunt force or a sharp force no it would be blunt force yeah mm. if she's bludgeoned to death jesus what a yes. girl. so poor woman bless her uh some items from the house including sam shepherd's wristwatch keychain and key and fraternity ring appeared to have been stolen they were later found in a canvas bag in shrubbery behind the house 
According to Shepard, he was sleeping soundly on a day bed when he heard the cries from his wife. He ran upstairs where he saw someone in the bedroom. He describes them to have bushy hair, was like his main, like they had bushy hair, they had bushy hair. And then he was knocked unconscious. When he awoke, he saw the person downstairs, chased the intruder out of the house down to the beach where they tussled and Shepard was knocked unconscious again. So at 5.40am, a neighbour received an urgent phone call from Shepard who pleaded for him to come to his home. When the neighbour and his wife arrived, Shepard was found shirtless and his pants were wet with a blood stain on the knee. Authorities arrived shortly thereafter and Shepard seemed disorientated and in shock. The family dog was not heard barking to indicate an intruder and their seven-year-old son, Sam Reese, or Chip Shepard, was asleep in the adjacent bedroom throughout the incident. Mm. So... Abyss, Shepard was arrested and he was charged for the murder of his wife, who was actually also pregnant at the time with their second child. Oh, no. So Shepard's trial began October 18th, 1954 and lasted nine weeks. The murder investigation and the trial were notable for the extensive publicity. Some newspapers and other media in Ohio were accused of bias against Shepard and inflammatory coverage of the case and were criticised for immediately labelling him the only viable suspect. So a federal judge later criticised the media. This is a quote. If ever there was a trial by newspaper, this is a perfect example. At the most insidious example was the Cleveland Press. For some reason, that newspaper took upon itself the role of accuser, judge and jury. It appeared that the local media influenced the investigators. On July 21st, 1954, the Cleveland Press ran a front-page editorial titled Do It Now, Dr. Gerber, which called for a public inquest. Hours later, Dr. Samuel Gerber, the coroner investigating the death, announced that he would hold an inquest the next day. Mm. Okay. Uh, the Cleveland Press ran another front-page editorial titled Why Isn't Sam Shepard in Jail? And on July 30th, which was titled in later editions, quit stalling and bring him in. <laughs> like so front page they, newspapers. <laughs> they just dictated the whole thing up to like this point so far. It's just, it's really reckless to be honest. Like I know that they want to have influence and whatnot to be able to like get more uh, readers and sell and et cetera, et cetera. But like manipulating a case like this where they haven't, fully gathered all the evidence mm. is so fucking bad. <laughs> could beat my yeah. own self out there. <laughs> beat yourself. <laughs> well, like, also, because I guess in their minds they thought, well, the husband had to have done it because the idea of a of an intruder coming in and just murdering someone, people were like, that's too scary to be true. Do you know what I mean? Like, but but worse things have happened, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and they can't just deny the fact that, you know, throughout throughout history, people have been robbing each other, like left, right, and center, and in their own homes and out on the streets. So to think that, like, somehow that's worse to to think that someone that you trusted mm-hmm. with your life and to to trust that you will spend your life with them, the lives of your children, finances, etc., will just kill you Mm. in your own home that's even worse than an intruder coming in it's why i low-key don't want kids because i'm like what if they murder me in my sleep you gotta raise them properly (laughs) tess god (laughs) 
You don't just like pick up a psychopath and just go, I think this will do. I won't do anything to change their mind. What if I mind. accidentally raise a psychopath? Like, what if I don't oh do it on purpose? <laughs> this is why your husband will step in and be like, Tess, this is how we get psychopaths. I'll take it from here. <laughs> because I hear these stories of like kids who murdered their parents. I'm just thinking, what, what could have, what led to this? Are they really that awful that you want to murder them? Like, I just, sometimes it's, it just scares me. Just keep your kids away from the knives, you know. Just it's the best way to go. Honestly. Anyway, so <laughs> tangent number one. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, that night after the newspaper being like, bring him in, uh, Shepard was arrested for a police interrogation. The local media ran salacious front page stories inflammatory to Shepard, which had no supporting facts or were later disproved. During the trial, a popular radio show broadcast a report about a New York City woman who claimed to be his mistress and the mother of his illegitimate child. Not not clarified. <laughs> since, okay. uh, since the jury was not sequestered, two of the jurors admitted to the judge that they heard the broadcast, but the judge did not dismiss them. And from interviews with some of the jurors years later, it is likely that the jurors were contaminated by the press before the trial and perhaps during it. The U.S. Supreme Court later called the trial a carnival atmosphere. So I guess if people aren't fully aware, if when you're a juror on, I believe, most cases now anyway, sequestered means that you basically live in a hotel or any accommodation they give you. You don't have access to, like, socials internet you're basically cut off so you're not um influenced by media and outside opinions because you are basically have to you have to base your opinion like your not opinion <laughs> your um <laughs> what am i trying yes, to say judgment or yeah like your I can't I think know of the, the word, word you're trying to say. Yeah, you know what I I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, I can't think of it either. <laughs> but you have to base that off of only what you've heard in court. And so the easiest way is just to be like, you come into court, you go back to your hotel room. You come into court, mm-hmm. you go back to your hotel room. And you can't talk to like... I think that's mainly for like major murder cases and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I'm pretty sure if you go for some minor stuff, you probably don't have to do that. But um, they basically let jurors sit on that jury who had heard all of this stuff before the thing had even started saying like oh yeah he murdered his wife not very fair no that makes sense because like if i don't know you're you're out there and you're out there but like if you've heard the verdict the verdict that's the piece (laughs) okay (laughs) i love that you just like burst out with verdict (laughs) the verdict okay continue the verdict um No, it would make sense. Like, say, for instance, you heard, like, the first day of trial, you've heard all this evidence, you've heard statements, you've heard um, the series of events that allegedly it happened to lead up to the death or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've had this thought in your head, maybe you've, like, discussed it with the other jurors, and you all come to the agreement, okay, you know what, based on blah, 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 I don't think that it's actually the case. I think he's actually innocent. And then you're minding your business, you got into the world, and then the whole world is like, who did it? And then someone's mm-hmm. conspiracy theory, which sounds effective enough, makes you go, oh, yeah, that Mm-mm. that might be the tea, though. And then your whole opinions change. It's not fair. Yeah. Um, I also just want to clarify by saying I, we obviously sound like we're very much like he didn't do it. And there's a reason I'm sounding very much like he didn't do it. I think a lot of because people... Because he didn't do it. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, some of these things I'm like, uh, I don't really know either way. But this, I'm fairly certain that they've proven that he didn't. Yeah. Or as much as they can prove in this era after all these years mm-hmm. later. So maybe if I sound a bit more like, yeah, I don't think he did it. It's probably because of what I've read. And honestly, some of it may not be true, but... Mm. <laughs> I mean, I'm just basing what I know of trials on the most recent very uh publicized trial this year we're not gonna name names and um suits because i watched so much of that (laughs) the prosecution focused on susan hayes a 24 year old laboratory technician at bayview hospital in bay village why why did they do that? Well, because she was having an affair with Sam Shepard and the prosecution were speculating that she was the motive for the murder. Wait, is is this like actually legit that she was having an affair with him? Mm-hmm. This is oh. legit. So their theory that they were working on was like, your wife's pregnant, but you're with this young piece. You might want to be with this young piece instead of your pregnant wife, but... Hmm. Okay, so Shepard's attorney, William Corrigan, argued that Shepard had severe injuries that these and that these injuries were inflicted by the intruder. There's no way that they could have been self-inflicted. Corrigan based his argument on the report made by neurosurgeon Charles Elkins, who examined Shepard and found he had suffered a concussion, nerve injury, many absent or weak reflexes, most notably on the left side of his body, an injury in the region of the second cervical vertebra. Oh. Mm. Um, in the back of his neck, which is bad, obviously. Um, Elkins stated that it was impossible to fake or simulate the missing reflex responses. I guess you know the thing where like, you see that stuff in movies where they hit your knee with like a thing, you go, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> your knee goes, whoop. Yeah, can't yeah. fake that. <laughs> Anyway, so the defense further argued the crime scene was extremely bloody, yet the only blood evidence appearing on Shepard was a blood stain on his trousers. Corrigan also argued two of Marilyn's teeth had been broken and that the pieces had been pulled from her mouth, suggesting she had possibly bitten her assailant. Sorry, it was just so grim. Carry on. (laughs) Sorry. Um, (laughs) He told the jury that Shepard had no open wounds, and some observers have questioned the accuracy of claims that Marilyn Shepard lost her teeth while biting her attacker, arguing that her missing teeth are more consistent with the severe beating she received to her face and skull. However, a criminologist, Paul L. Kirk, later said that if the beating had broken Mrs. Shepard's teeth, pieces would have been found found inside her mouth and her lips would have been severely damaged, which was not the case. Random little teeth segment there for you. <laughs> but no, that makes sense, because when you said that like bits of her teeth were missing, I was like, well, surely they're in her mouth. And you were like, they're not in her mouth. I was like, what? <laughs> so like, where me are someone, they? <laughs> where are they? You tell me what? someone reached in and went, I'm going to take these because, you know, CSI, <laughs> and I ran away with them. But no, it makes sense if they were in But like, can the you imagine, like, if they had come out because of her biting someone how hard you have to be biting someone for your teeth to come out yeah oh my Awful. god you also have to like pull with such a force that mm. it rips someone's teeth out as opposed to just like you sliding out from mm. the bite wound Awful. that's crazy oh my god so <laughs> Shepard took the stand in his own defense testifying that he had been sleeping downstairs on a daybed when he awoke to his wife's screams I have a transcript <laughs> 
<laughs> I love this. I love how I announced it. Like, I have a transcript. So sounds like okay. you have the evidence. Like, this is what we needed for the last sixty-seven years. <laughs> I've held it up in the air. I have it. Okay. So this is all. Okay. Here we go. You ready? Mm-hmm. Here we are. Here we go. <laughs> I've been this up way too much. It's literally just his testimony. Okay. So he says. I think that she cried or screamed my name once or twice, during which time I ran upstairs, thinking that she might be having a reaction similar to convulsions that she had in the early days of her pregnancy. I charged into our room and saw a form with a light garment, I believe, at that time, grappling with something or someone. During this short period, I could hear loud moans or groaning sounds and noises. I was struck down. It seems like I was hit from behind somehow, but had grappled this individual from in front or generally in front of me. I was apparently knocked out. The next thing I knew, I was gathering my senses while coming to a sitting position next to the bed, my feet toward the hallway. I looked at my wife. I believe I took her pulse and felt that she was gone. I believe that I thereafter instinctively or subconsciously ran into my youngster's room next door and somehow determined that he was all right. I'm not sure how I determined this. After that, I thought that I heard a noise downstairs, seemingly in the front eastern portion of the house. So that's the end of his quote that I have. And Shepard ran back downstairs, and this is when it was reported that he chased what he described, again, as a bushy-haired intruder or form down to the lake, Erie Beach, below his home, before being knocked out again. I'm sorry, but, like, a lot of it sounds well not even a lot of it all of it sounds like i might have done this i might have done that did you it's do anything not the best language to use when it's like i appar- i was apparently knocked out and it's like we well, either were or you weren't yeah <laughs> like, and then like this person was in front of him but then he got knocked out from behind and then he somehow determined that his son was okay and mm-hmm. i don't understand like you are one a doctor so therefore you should be a bit more learned in the English language in order to give this statement to a higher degree. Second, you are not sure of any of your actions at all. Like everything was, I somehow did this. I believed I did that. I Mm. managed to determine. I'm not sure how I did that though. So I can see why people would be like, that's a bit sus. Because even as you Mm. were saying it to me, I was like, that is very sus. Yeah. How do you not know what you're doing? That's Mm. really weird. Mm. So, uh, so on December 21st after deliberating for four days the jury found Shepard guilty of second degree murder and he was sentenced to life in prison so uh, this kind of was the beginning of tragedy for his family because on January the 7th 1955 so only like a month not even a month later shortly after his conviction Shepard was told that his mother Ethel Shepard had died from a self-inflicted gunshot 11 days later Shepard's father Richard Shepard died of a bleeding gastric ulcer and stomach cancer Jesus so he lost both his parents within a month of each other and Shepard was permitted to attend both funerals but was required to wear handcuffs And then on February 13th, 1963, which is a bit, a few years later, Shepard's former father-in-law, so Marilyn's father, Thomas S. Rees, died by suicide in an East Cleveland, Ohio motel. During this period, this is the context of why they think he did this, Shepard was in the process of making appeals for his conviction. 
So moving forward, Shepard's attorney, William Corrigan, spent six years making appeals, but were all rejected. And on July 30th, 1961, Corrigan died. Sad face. He lost his attorney. <laughs> and oh. F. Lee Bailey took over as Shepard's chief counsel. Bailey's petition for a right of habeas corpus was granted on July 15th, 1964 by a United States District Court judge who called the 1954 trial a mockery of justice that shredded Shepard's 14th Amendment right to due process. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> the state of Ohio... <laughs> sorry, I don't know what that noise was. <laughs> uh, agree in American. <laughs> so... <laughs> don't make that noise. I'm making this all up. So, this <laughs> the state of Ohio was ordered to release Shepard on bond and gave the prosecutor 60 days to bring charges against him, otherwise the case would be dismissed permanently. The state of Ohio appealed the ruling to the US Court of Appeals court for the sixth circuit so many courts in this sentence um which on march 4th 1965 reversed the federal judge's ruling bailey appealed to the u.s supreme court (laughs) which agreed to hear the case in shepherd versus maxwell and on june 6 1966 the supreme court by an eight to one vote struck down the murder conviction the decision noted, among other factors, that a carnival atmosphere had infiltrated the trial and that the trial judge, Edward J. Blythen, who had died in 1958, was biased against Shepard because Blythen had refused to sequester the jury, did not order the jury to ignore and disregard media reports of the case, and when speaking to newspaper columnist Dorothy Kilgallen, shortly before the trial started, said, well, he's guilty as hell, there's no question about it. So when your judge, before you even start your trial, says that, mm, yeah. This is so bad. I feel really terrible for this guy for, I mean, okay, we have obviously haven't gotten to the end to know whether he did it or not, um, but you lose your wife in probably the worst way possible. Then you lose both your parents and your father-in-law. Then your attorney, you're in jail. It's just like every time you keep saying, guys, please, I, I want to say my piece and I want to say it properly, hopefully, um, <laughs> he keeps getting turned down and rejected. It's just it, like the the fact that he still had some form of hope to keep appealing for such a long time. A lot of people wouldn't have that kind of, um, what's the word? Uh, uh, the will to go on, I guess you could say. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Bless him. So Shepard served 10 years of his sentence and three days after his 1964 release, he married, look, this name, Ariane Teben-Johans, I'm going to say it is, a German divorcee who had corresponded with him during his imprisonment. Oh, she's one of them ones. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, we know the type. (laughs) Why? That's so, like, you know when I said, uh, during the Bonnie and Clyde one that, you know, bad boys and stuff like mm. this is the this is the definition of you can't change him. I'm not <laughs> uh, like, again, I'm not saying, you know, he did or did not do it. I don't know what the full T is yet. But like, <laughs> why? Why is it? Imagine like you ask someone like, oh, what's your type? And they say, oh, you know, tall, dark, handsome, um, good at sports, funny, blah, blah, blah. You ask somebody else, what's your type? Serial killer. Love a bit Ted Bundy. Prisoner. Yes. Oh my god, why? <laughs> I, I love them to be in prison. Like, oh my god, yeah, this turns me on. Why? 
Why? <laughs> so many issues. Bad they boys. all need therapy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so we got engaged. Um, married. He got married. The two had been engaged since January 1963. Teben Johans endured her own bit of controversy shortly after the engagement had been announced, confirming that her half-sister was Magda Ritschel, sorry, the wife of Nazi propaganda chief Joseph Goebbels. Goebbels. <laughs> so, really? Hey, yeah, her half-sister was uh, low-key a Nazi as well as <laughs> her husband. So his in-laws are Nazis? Yes. Allegedly. Allegedly. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Yes. So, <laughs> so Tebbin Johans emphasized that she had she held no Nazi views. She's like, that's my weird ass half sister. It's not me. And October seventh, nineteen sixty nine, six years after their engagement, Shepard and Tebbin Johans divorced. They were married for five ish years. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It was never going to work, so... Fair enough. <laughs> He's a convicted, alleged murderer. She's a Nazi. Uh, well, never well. mind. She, she has Nazi ties, apparently. T.T. Mm. So, on to the retrial now. He's gotten... he gotten a retrial. <laughs> gotten trial. So, jury selection began October 24th, 1966, and opening statements began eight days later. Media interest in the trial remained high, but this jury was sequestered. So, the prosecutor presented essentially the same case as was presented 12 years earlier, and Bailey aggressively sought to discredit each prosecution witness during cross-examination. When coroner Samuel Gerber testified about a murder weapon, which he described as a surgical weapon, Bailey led Gerber to admit that they never found a murder weapon and had nothing to tie Shepard to the murder in that regard. Do they say what kind of surgical weapon it was or do they just no, kind of... they just had like surgical weapon. <laughs> so literally anything at this point. It could have been like a surgical I don't know, mallet. And I was about went, to say, yeah. yeah, a hammer, like a surgical hammer. Yeah. And I was like, what would they use a hammer for in surgery? Like, <laughs> that's weird. Anyway. <laughs> okay, so um, in his closing argument, Bailey scathingly dismissed the prosecution's case against Shepard as 10 pounds of hogwash in a five pound bag. Don't know what that means, but he thought it was all bull, basically. <laughs> Okay, that would have made way more sense if he had said that. <laughs> so, unlike in the original trial, neither Shepard nor Susan Hayes took the stand, a strategy that proved to be successful. I always think they probably shouldn't, because even if they were innocent, they just say shit that makes them look guilty. I'm sorry, I pulled a face at her because I realised I swore. <laughs> <laughs> it was such a... I did it again, kind of face. (laughs) Did I say that? (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh, it is. Carry on, Oracle. Okay. (laughs) After deliberating for 12 hours, 12 hours, the jury returned on November 16th with a not guilty verdict. So the trial was important to Bailey's rise to prominence among American criminal defense lawyers. I believe he got involved with like every other super famous case since like i apparently oj simpson case or something like he this guy don't quote me on that (laughs) 
I can't remember, but he he was like in all the famous trials from then on out. But he kind of became known as the guy who can probably get a not guilty verdict easy peasy lemon squeezy. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was during this trial that Paul Kirk presented the blood spatter evidence he collected in Shepard's home in 1955 that suggested that the murderer was left-handed. Shepard was right-handed, so that's like the first piece of like, mm -hmm, which proved crucial to his acquittal. Three weeks after the trial, Shepard appeared as a guest on the December 7th episode of The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson, which is now Jimmy Fallon's Tonight Show, just to give you a perspective, I guess, as to what he was going on. Um, after his acquittal, Shepard worked with ghostwriter Bill Levy to write the book Endure and Conquer, which presented his side of the case and discussed his years in prison. Levy felt conflicted about collaborating with Shepard because of his belief that Shepard had committed the crime. Can I just say that this kind of behaviour does not help you? <laughs> like, if I was like charged and like put on trial for murder that I did not do, the last thing I'm going to do when I come out is write a book about it. I'm going to lock myself away and just try and live my best life. Yeah. Like, why? <laughs> I just don't understand. Like, I, I, okay. From an innocent point of view, I can understand that he wants to tell his side of the story and be like, I didn't do this. I, I really want people to know what I think of the whole thing, what I had to go through. I get that from, from that point of view. Mm -hmm. But also, it just genuinely looks really bad. Mm -hmm. so bad like I, oh i've had to endure this for such a long time so now you want to come out and make some money and profit off of like basically your wife's murder mm -hmm. and say that you see i didn't do it and i can tell you why by my new book like how insensitive is that by my new book <laughs> <laughs> you want to hear how i survived how book. I endured and conquered the whole thing. <laughs> Buy my book. Amazon five ninety nine. <laughs> I have a book. <laughs> okay. But no, I just think and I think coupled with his the fact that I don't know if it was like a a him decision to go onto the stand in the first trial or whether the, I think the lawyers were a bit like, no one really does it. It's a bad idea. But mm -hmm. if it lines up with the idea of he was like, no, I want to have my say and I want to get up there and tell them I'm innocent. It just doesn't look good when you do like a TV show interview and then write a book. And it's just like, go away yeah. <laughs> in the nicest way possible. Go and just live your best life out of the limelight. Yeah. Cause some people probably still think you did it and like, it just looks bad. Yeah, like including the know. ones that didn't think you did it and now you've gone and done all of this and now it looks really bad that they've changed their minds because like even now yeah. I'm thinking, oh, this guy totally did it because <laughs> maybe actions. not he totally did it. Yeah, but his actions yeah. don't paint him in a very good light. And I just think that profiting off of your wife's murder, whether you did it or not, is just a bad look in general. Like, mm -hmm. like I, uh, um, anyway... <laughs> Do we know what happened to his son this whole time? I actually don't know what happened, like, during his incarceration. Mm. I'm actually not sure, but his son does pop up later in the story. Just every now and then, he just <laughs> Oh, yes, I exist. <laughs> <laughs> yes, talk about me. Um, good shout, though. I actually did not even think about <laughs> looking into that. Didn't even think about it. But there you go. Steph cares about kids. I obviously don't. That's a first. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. 
So, uh, Shepard's friend and soon-to-be father-in-law, professional wrestler George Strickland. Oh, my God. I really struggled with that name. Strict, Strickland. Oh, gosh. <laughs> introduced him to wrestling and trained him for it. He debuted in August 1969 at the age of 45 as Killer Sam Shepard, wrestling Wild Bill Shoal, Shoal, School, Skull. But yeah, he uh, played into the narrative of him being a convicted murderer, which brought an audience. This is the dumbest smart person I've ever come across in my life. <laughs> yeah, oh this my man's God, a actually... doctor, like super intelligent. You are a doc. Well, I don't know if I want to say super intelligent considering his flipping testimony. <laughs> but no, this is so bad. Oh my God. He's so dumb. Anyways, carry on. I don't want to rant. So, <laughs> so Shepard wrestled over 40 matches before his death in April 1970 including a number of tag team bouts with Strickland as his partner. His notoriety made him a strong draw. During his career, Shepard used his anatomical knowledge to develop a new submission hold, the Mandible Claw. It was popularised by professional wrestler Mankind in 1996. The Mandible Claw. Yeah, it must be some sort of... Are you going to Google this stuff? I'm going to Google Ooh, it. Because <laughs> I want to know what that looks like. Like, I don't know why. I just imagine someone, like, putting their hand into somebody else's, <laughs> like, mouth, you know? Just <laughs> hand on the face. <laughs> it. Oh, my God. No, I'm right. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm right. Okay. So, <clears throat> I'm basing this off of gifts from wrestling matches, like, tons of them. A lot of old ones as well. So, you basically put four of your five fingers into someone's mouth with what looks like like um you know the like wrapping that you would get on your hand when you're doing fights mm. and stuff it looks like that so it just goes straight into the mouth and it looks like you probably um clamp into it like you mm. yeah like the claw part comes into mm. it and it's like you can get that person to move around at your will oh it's an interesting move very interesting mm. okay i also love how you specified before that we all have five fingers thank you for that no, <laughs> you were like look. four out of your five fingers <laughs> yeah because i don't want anyone to think you put your entire hand inside there and then just like move them around via the tongue or anything <laughs> but you just put four out of the five fingers in there and then just you know i don't know <laughs> helicopter them around apparently oh my gosh there you go so he also had a bit of a wrestling career after his conviction and release. So after his release from prison, Shepard opened a medical office in the Columbus suburb of Gahanna, Gahanna in Ohio. On May 10th, 1968, Shepard was granted surgical privileges at the Youngstown, Youngstown, I should say, sorry, osteopathic hospital. I promise I can read. Um, but his... Uh, <laughs> His skills as a surgeon had deteriorated, and much of the time he was impaired by alcohol. Five days after he was granted privileges, he performed a disectomy on a woman and accidentally cut an artery. The patient died the next day. Mm-hmm. And on August 6th, he nicked the right iliac artery on a 29-year-old patient who bled to death internally. Oh, my God. So, so he really she- is living up to his name. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> so Shepard resigned from the hospital staff a few months later after wrongful death suits had been filed by the patient's families. A biz. Are you kidding me? So <laughs> six months before his death, Shepard married Colleen Strickland, who is the daughter of the wrestler that he was, you know, such nice with. Towards the end of his life, Shepard was reportedly drinking as much as two-fifths of liquor a day, which apparently is one and a half litres. Apparently. Oh my god, I don't even drink that much water a day. <laughs> no, I mean, if... <laughs> we need to hydrate more, child. Uh, so, <laughs> on April 6, 1970, Shepard was found dead in his home in Columbus, Ohio. Early reports indicated that Shepard died of liver failure. And the official cause of death was Vernick encopalopathy oh my god not even going to attempt that again sorry but it's a type of brain damage associated with advanced alcoholism okay he was buried in forest lawn memorial gardens in columbus ohio so it doesn't end there my friend shepherd's body (laughs) shepherd's body remained buried until september 1997 when he was exhumed for DNA testing as part of the lawsuit brought by his son to clear his father's name. Oh, there he is. Our Dana is getting better every day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The DNA testing absolved Shepard of the murder. After the tests, the body was cremated and the ashes were interred at a mausoleum at Knollwood Cemetery in Mayfield Heights, Ohio, along with those of his murdered wife, Marilyn. So, according to DNA, he did not murder his wife. Well, test that they did in 97. Oh. I mean, okay, well, it's a good thing that the son was basically to the rescue. Quite late, yes. may I say. But, <laughs> you know, we can't rush science when it comes mm. to stuff like that. Well, I mean, it's great he didn't do it. It's sad that whoever did got away. But also, the dude did not handle things well. No. He could have tried and he didn't. I think it probably personality type, which didn't know how to cope with it. And so he just mm-hmm. kind of did stuff that most people probably wouldn't have done. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Theorizing. <laughs> so that's not the end of the son's story, though. So Shepard's son, Samuel Reese Shepard, has devoted considerable time and effort towards attempting to clear his father's reputation. In 1999, Alan Davis not the comedian, a lifelong friend of Shepard and administrator of his estate. <laughs> Every time we see a famous name, it's like, it's an abyss. Um, sued the state of Ohio for Shepard's wrongful imprisonment. By order of the court, Marilyn Shepard's body was exhumed in part to determine if the fetus she was carrying had been fathered by Shepard. Don't ask me why that's important, but... <laughs> Terry Gilbert, an attorney retained by the Shepherd family, told the media that the fetus in this case had previously been autopsied. A fact that had never previously been disclosed. Surprise fact. <laughs> so, this, Gilbert argued, raised questions about the coroner's office in the original case, possibly concealing pertinent evidence. Due to the passage of time on the fetus's tissues... Uh, paternity could not be established. Mm. So after 10 weeks of trial, 76 witnesses and hundreds of exhibits, (laughs) the case went to the eight-person civil jury. The jury deliberated just three hours on April 12th, 2000, before returning an unanimous verdict that Samuel Reese Shepard had failed to prove that his father had been wrongly imprisoned. So you've got DNA saying... 
most likely wasn't him, probably not him. And then this jury being like, uh, well, they don't know. <laughs> oh Couldn't prove that he was wrongly imprisoned. I guess that's basically them thinking that he did do it, but... Yeah, I was gonna say that's that's them just yeah. ignoring the 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 scientific evidence and saying, yeah, well, I think he did it anyway because he was in prison. Like, no, but the point is that we're <laughs> we're establishing that he was wrongfully imprisoned. Yeah, no, but I think he yeah. did it. <laughs> uh, so on February twenty second, two thousand and two, the eighth district court of appeals ruled unanimously that the civil case should not have gone to the jury, on the grounds that the statute of limitations had expired. And that a claim for wrongful imprison- imprisonment abated. Imprisonment? Sure. <laughs> I did that on purpose. Oh. Um, <laughs> I did. <laughs> um, <laughs> wrongful imprisonment. So it abated with uh, Sam Shepard's death. In August 2002, the Supreme Court of Ohio declined to review the appeals court's decision. All this law stuff, all this court stuff, like, it confuses me so much. And I will never understand it. So, <laughs> But that's generally the gist. So now you're like, but, like, who who done it? Who did this? Who, yeah, who I really want to know who did this. So, during the civil trial, plaintiff attorney Terry Gilbert contended that Richard Eberling, an occasional handyman and window washer at the Shepherd home, was the likeliest suspect in Marilyn's murder. Ebeling, I hope I'm saying this right, by the way, I don't know, I'm making this up, found Marilyn attractive and he was very familiar with the layout of the Shepherd home. In 1959, detectives were questioning Richard about various burglaries in the area and he confessed to the burglaries and showed the detectives his loot, which included two rings that belonged to Marilyn Shepherd. But he said that he stole the rings in 1958, a few years later, after the murder, from Sam Shepard's brother's house, taken from a box marked personal property of Marilyn Shepard. Okay. So, <laughs> in subsequent questioning, Richard admitted his blood was at the crime scene of Marilyn Shepard. He stated that he cut his finger while washing windows just prior to the murder and bled while on the premises. And he didn't clean it up because he's an idiot. Because <laughs> he's a Go beast ahead. and he didn't clean up after himself. So rude. <laughs> so... As part of the investigation, he took polygraph tests, which we all know are so accurate, with questions <laughs> about the murder of Marilyn. The polygraph examiner concluded that he did not show deception in his answers, although the polygraph results were evaluated by other es- experts years later who found that it was either inconclusive or he was deceptive. In his testimony in the 2000 civil lawsuit, Bailey stated that he rejected um Ebeling as a suspect in 1966 because quote I thought he passed a good polygraph test just basing this all off of polygraph tests like anyway when it was presented to Bailey that an independent polygraph expert said that he had either murdered Marilyn or had knowledge of who did it Bailey stated that he probably would have presented Richard as a suspect in the 1966 retrial but DNA, our best friend, evidence, which was not available in the two murder trials, played an important role in the civil trial. DNA analysis of blood at the crime scene showed that there was presence of blood from a third person other than Marilyn and Sam Shepard. With regard to tying the blood to Richard, the DNA analysis that was allowed to be admitted to the trial was inconclusive. 
Mm. Yeah, it's annoying. A plaintiff DNA expert was 90% confident that one of the blood blood spots belonged to Richard. But according to the rules of the court, this was not admissible. Laws, rules, courts, I don't know. (laughs) Too many rules. Um, The defense argued that the blood evidence had been tainted in the years since it was collected and that an important blood spot on the closet door in Marilyn Shepard's room potentially included 83% of the adult white population. I guess it's... Yeah. (laughs) So it's just like all they could get, all they could gather from it was just general base foundations of dna yeah pretty much or like, like the eth- ethnicity person. yeah oh, that's <laughs> unfortunate um so the defense also pointed out that the results in 1955 from the older blood typing technique that the blood collected from the closet door was type o while richard's blood was type a oh doesn't mean that he doesn't have blood at the scene but Whatever's Trevor's. Throughout his life, Richard was associated with women who had suspicious deaths, and he was convicted of murdering Ethel May Durkin, a wealthy, elderly widow who died without any immediate family. Durkin's 1984 murder in Lakewood, Ohio, was uncovered when a court-appointed review of the woman's estate revealed that Richard had failed to execute her final wishes which included stipulations on her burial. So Durkin's body was exhumed and additional injuries were discovered in the autopsy that did not match Richard's previous claims of in-house accidents, including a fall down a staircase in her home. In subsequent legal action, both Richard and his partner, Obi Henderson, were found guilty in Durkin's death. Coincidentally, both of Durkin's sisters, Myrtle Frey and Sarah Bell Farrow, had died under suspicious circumstances as well. Frey was killed after being savagely beaten about the head and face and then strangled. Pharaoh Faro died following a fall down the basement steps in the home she shared with Durkin in 1970, a fall in which she broke both legs and both arms. Yeah. <laughs> this reminds me of, you know, the staircase? Mm-hmm. This reminds me of that because, spoiler if you don't want to hear anything about the staircase... His wife died from from falling down the stairs, allegedly falling down the stairs. Yeah. And then a few years earlier, when they were in Germany for some reason, I can't remember, someone that they was that they knew or that they were staying with died after she fell down the stairs. And everyone's like, "You just everyone you know dies by falling down the stairs, my friend." Like, the stairs are at it again. Oh my god, <laughs> making a guest appearance. <laughs> Literally. Anyway, so it just reminds me of like everyone he knows is dying horribly, and yeah. it's like it's not me. Also, like I'm curious as to how um, the one that fell down the stairs and broke both arms and legs, like one, how did she fall, and two, what are the stairs made of, or what is the ground made of? Like, did she fall down marble stairs into a basement? Why is her her basement made of marble? For one, if that was the Literally. case, spending way too much money in the wrong place, and like, was she? Was she flailing as she got downstairs? Because I understand that could be a possibility. However, I don't know. I I mean, it's too late to say it now, but yeah. TT. Weird, right? So, Mm. although Richard denied any criminal involvement in the murder of Marilyn Shepard, Kathy Wagner Dale, Dale, who worked alongside Richard in caring for Ethel May Durkin, also testified that Richard had confessed to her in 1983. 
A fellow convict also reported that he confessed to the crime. The defence called into question the credibility of both witnesses during the 2000 civil trial because they're like, who even are these people? (laughs) Can we trust them? (laughs) Um, Richard Ebeling died in in an Ohio prison in 1998 where he was serving a life sentence for the 1984 murder of Ethel May Durkin. So he is a strong contender (laughs) for who murdered Marilyn Shepard. The last theory which um, is very hard to find proper information on, but I'll, I'll vocalise vocalize it. <laughs> vocalise? I was like about to like burst into song. Um, <laughs> a, t- <laughs> a 2002 book theorises that Marilyn Shepard was murdered by James Call, an Air Force deserter who passed through Cleveland on a multi-state crime spree at the relevant time. So that is your last possible suspect, and that is the end of this piece finally <laughs> what a piece so so basically it's all kind of low-key inconclusive because we don't really have somebody yeah. that did it like we don't like even if um you know like the widely suspected person is blah 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 and everyone's like oh yeah we know that he did it he confessed um you know all the evidence points to him it's the fact that an official court hasn't said this person is guilty of this specific murder go to jail that's yeah. it's really it's really irritating how um what's the word it's it's very unsatisfying like mm. even if because because now now this guy um you know it's like you said he's a very strong contender for the person to have murdered all these people including Marilyn. But because a court hasn't officially said it was him, we can't pin on him, even though he was already serving a life sentence. It just, it's, it's unsatisfying and it's really mm-hmm. sad. And I, bar all his actions, because he's an idiot, Sam most likely didn't do this based on everything that's popped up over the years. Mm-hmm. And he was still being looked at as the one that did it. So yeah, it's a shame. It's really, really quite bad. Yeah, it's just, yeah, like you said, unsatisfying. It's also why I don't like cold cases, like unsolved cases. I love true crime, but I hate the ones that aren't solved because I, my main interest in like true crime comes from why someone would do this and how could they, like as a human being, we were supposedly supposed to have empathy and we're supposed to be like, have humanity and a soul. <laughs> how someone can go out and murder someone and so the how like the why for me is like the big thing so when it's cold case or unsolved it's like we don't know the why because we don't know who did it mm-hmm. and that frustrates me and it's a bit the same with this like we don't really know why we don't really know who i mean look is there a chance that sam shepherd did do this like maybe i'm not going to say fully that he 100 percent didn't mm-hmm. because even the dna is slightly disputed but like I want answers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Please, pretty sure thank you. Samuel Reese does as well, actually. Like, mm. he wants to know who killed his mother. He wants his father's name to be um, acquitted of all these these crimes. All these crimes? As if he's committed so many. <laughs> all of these crimes. Every <laughs> single so one. So many. Um, of that specific crime. Um, but yeah, it's just... it's. Oh, I don't know. I feel so deflated after hearing about it now because i just wanted no no it's not your fault (laughs) i just wanted something 
concrete, mm. I guess. But yeah, yeah, it's it's exactly as you said with a cold case or an unsolved murder. You just want to know the why. And mm. I think assuming that everybody has empathy and humanity is so wrong because we know that a lot of people don't. Um, but they should. <laughs> they should. Unfortunately, they did not pick that up when they were going shopping. So. <laughs> Honestly. But like... I don't know. I just blame blame our audience if you're sad because they picked this. Well, they didn't. <laughs> I did, but like uh, the, the people spoke. Um, I just also think the interesting aspect of it is the the whole media thing because, and this always bothers me when I watch um, TV shows, and I guess it happens. It also happens in real life, but I see it more in fiction where they're trying to, you know get a case together build a case and all the newspapers want to know is all the information and they're trying like leak information and it's like no because if you do anything it's going to hurt the case and it frustrates me so much because it's like do you want this to be solved if you do butt out and get stay out of it until it's all sorted it just bothers me and that's a random thought i had <laughs> i mean no it's a good it's a good thought to have it's the problem of everybody wants their opinion heard because what if Mm. someone is just like oh i think i'm right therefore everybody needs to hear about it i really don't think so because if if you have your opinion keep it to yourself but if it's an opinion that actually has some fact um attached to it then go speak to the right authority figure for it but otherwise just stay out of it let it happen on its own i mean Mm. there are tons of trials over the years that could have been influenced by the media and Luckily, sequestering is a thing that judges, <laughs> well, at least most judges say we should do that. But yes. yeah. Oh, it's actually very a sad. very relevant case. I mean, it's not murder, <laughs> but about media involvement. Because over here in Australia, um, there is this case that's been trying to get to court for ages because you know how it takes 10 years to get to court. Um, and it's a rape case. And it's mm-hmm. against. Uh, it happened at at Parliament House or something. I can't. I, I think I wasn't here in Australia when it happened, so I can't fully remember it. Oh, so it's very recent. Yeah, only a few years ago. Oh, okay. Um, but they they did like a big, you know, tell all interview with this woman who's who accused and is you know going to go to trial for it and everything. And the lady, the interviewer. She won a award. We have an award here called the Logies. It's our TV awards. It's like mm-hmm. a downgraded BAFTAs. <laughs> and <laughs> just telling the truth. And she won the award for like most outstanding um, news, news and current affairs piece or something. And in her speech, she forgot to use the word allegedly when talking about this rape. And so because she got up on TV, national TV, and basically was like, she was raped and this is the person who she didn't name them but she was like didn't say allegedly and didn't use the proper legal jargon they had to postpone the trial because they would see it as manipulating people's views and opinions and you know again right to have a fair trial and all this stuff so they've basically postponed it till the end of the year hoping that by then everyone will have forgotten about it and be it'll be like out of their minds and they can go in fresh but like it just takes that one little thing to completely throw it off and and also have they forgotten that recordings are forever yeah (laughs) like the internet is a thing 
Yeah, but it's just it's so it's like another law thing about yeah it's all these rules, but their language is so important. If you don't say allegedly, and if you don't use particular language, you can tank a, a trial. People yeah. can get off of tri- like get off of charges based on what people say. <laughs> Awful. I am disappointed. <laughs> but <laughs> yep. Anyway. So that's the stunning history today, 4th of July. Happy 4th of July. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Sorry. Um, anything Let- you want to leave us with, like, happy thoughts or anything? Happy thoughts, happy thoughts. Um, happy thoughts. Is- okay, so this has nothing to do with America, but for once, um, England actually has very nice weather, and oh. everybody's happy, and we're going outside. And... Um, we are, as you say, living our best lives. Oh, finally, living our best lives. Um, yeah, like I, it's not like anything super specific or in the news today. Something amazing happened, <laughs> but you know, we have sun, which is very rare for this country. I think we have like about—is it forty-five days of sun a year? Something oh, like that. Yeah. So yes. this is one of the forty-five, or whatever number it apparently is. <laughs> Oh, amazing. We live in for summer. It's winter over here, but it's very mild winter and I'm living for the winter. What about um, yourself? Is there anything nice you want to say? I'm just thinking, is there anything nice I want to say? I don't know. I mean, a lot of good movies are coming out, so I'm getting excited for that. Oh, yeah, that's a good shout. Oh, um, Multiverse is now on Disney+. Plus. Yes, I saw that. So nice. Mm-hmm. Um, Elvis is out and I cannot wait because I'm a Baz Luhrmann obsessed piece and I literally cannot <laughs> wait to see it um, and then Thor's going to come out in a few weeks I'm also so excited for that because I love Taika Waititi so much and all the Netflix stuff oh Stranger Things, by this stage <gasps> yes. Stranger Things will already be out and we have already would have seen it because yeah. we're recording this before it comes out but <laughs> <laughs> and Umbrella Academy the, the new season it. of that oh, I haven't finished it yet oh I'm not gonna say anything. It's really good, though. I gotta it's say, there's some. So far, um, it's good. There's very good acting from certain characters. Yeah, so it's a good month to be in into in, into entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> Only good thing about this this month and next month will be the movies and the TV shows. Yeah, we're we're, we're let's let's try not to talk about like murder next time round because. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, because like oh. It was just a bit depressing. Aww. It's not your fault. It was, and it's not the fault of the people. They asked for true crime, and this is just what happens to land on the Fourth of July. Yes, um, it's nobody's yeah. fault except for whoever killed Marilyn. But Ooh. we will, we will survive. We'll get past this. Yes, we'll get through it. Well, thanks for listening. Hope you learned something. Hope it was reasonably enjoyable, interesting. Like <laughs> I know, like it was. Murder it was. is never enjoyable, but you know. <laughs> No, the trial um, part was definitely enjoyable, especially after everything yeah. that we've learned from trials this specific year. Mm. Mm-hmm. We're learning a lot about courts and justices. Um, mm-hmm. I still don't fully understand it myself. <laughs> An objection hearsay every five seconds. <laughs> objection. That was You asked that question. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Anyway. It's so bad. It's so bad. Go follow us on Insta. I may ask, in, not for the next one, because I feel like you guys are just going to take us on a dark path. Maybe in the near future, I'll ask for some um, opinions. Do you know, why don't you ask anyway? 
and then whatever they and then ignore it (laughs) no (laughs) no like ask anyway and then whatever the general consensus is let's see what we can do with that information okay okay steps open to more horrible stories no (laughs) it could be something as nice as like this is the day nutella was created like you know it could be nice Um, fair enough also if you have a specific story in mind that you're like someone needs to talk about this because i'm obsessed and i want everyone else to be obsessed then let us know i'm happy to take suggestions because yeah (laughs) i feel pressure sometimes (laughs) picking stories i'm like um but yeah go follow thanks for listening uh hopefully we'll get another one to you and in by before the end of i don't know what i'm trying to say i was gonna say english was not your strong point just then also just want to quickly point out instagram Mm. um our handle is at t shot as in the stunning history of today t shot podcast i was like productions i was like that doesn't sound right it's it's because of the p it's it's a podcast (laughs) just to let you know (laughs) one day it will be productions but yes uh t-shirts podcast on instagram yes Yes. and i will stop talking now because i obviously can't english but thanks for listening i've been tess (laughs) and i've been stuff we've been stunning oh we're amazing. <laughs> anyway, We're so thanks. humble as well. Oh, we, we love it. Okay, that's enough. Bye. Bye. <laughs>